what a glorious um, series we have we have done uh, in, in in our preaching the last many weeks. We have spoken about the church, and the scriptures have lots to say about the church. So <clears throat> I want to give you the overview again. We don't have time to review too much, but I always like to review a little bit because it is my experience and it is uh, other people's experience and research has shown that people don't remember very much. Um, Yes. And so, uh, and typically when... Oh, I, I, I was thinking about giving you the example of Uncle Herman again, but I'll spare you that example. Uh, what I know is this, that when I teach tennis to people and they come for the first tennis lesson, Glenn, you can testify to this, uh, one of the things that I emphasize the most to them is that what I'm telling you today You need to go practice if you want to improve. Practice. In other words, what I've told you today, you got to go do it, and then you'll improve. And then many times, the kids, they don't go practice because they're there because mom said so or dad said so or something like that. They're not really interested. Or maybe they don't have much opportunity. So, um, but if they don't practice... Then next week, I basically have to repeat lesson one again. And just to give them a sense of progress, I say, no, this is lesson 1A. (laughs) And if they don't practice, then next week, I give them lesson 1B. Nevertheless, lesson one. It is my experience that as Christians, we do not put to work, we do not put in practice that which we have learned. Uh, Maybe a little bit. Uh, So, uh, therefore, I'm in the habit of reviewing at least a little bit of what we've talked about, so that at least now you heard it twice, and hopefully you'll put it to practice in your life. Um, It doesn't matter how many books a husband reads about husband and wife relationships, uh, if he's not going to put in practice that which he's learning. It just remains the same. And so, and so it goes. So that is why I like to review a little bit, a little bit at least. So let me go ahead and review, and I give you the overview, the, uh, basically the outline of the study, and then I'll go into my sermon for today, which is the last one of the series. Point number one, uh, with the title, The Church Growing Together in Love, is the overall title, The Church Growing Together in Love. And then I gave you a definition. The church is a group of baptized believers, flawed to be sure, growing together in the love of Christ. And I, I, wanna, I put it in there by clear thinking and choice of words that the church is flawed. She is perfect in the mind of Christ, in the mind of God, because He sees the future, and He sees that she is covered by the blood of Jesus, 
So in his mind, she is already perfect. But while we're here on earth and walking through this life here on earth, there are many, many flaws. This is no condemnation. This is the truth. I want us to be aware of the truth so that when you see my flaws, you will be gracious with me. And when I see your flaws, I will be gracious with you. So you don't think that I am perfect, and then when my flaws show up, oh, we have the wrong pastor, (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) You know, I have the wrong husband. (laughs) Well, he made a couple of mistakes this week. Um, So this is on purpose, because my brothers and sisters, it is about the church growing together in love. That when your flaws show up, it is an opportunity for me to grow in love. Not to grow in condemnation. Not to grow in belittling you. But to grow in love because the ultimate purpose of the church is that she would love herself and love Christ. So we'll get to that. That's the last one. So that's the title for today. So the definition of the church. Point number two. The church, a spiritual house. The church is, you know, when the church has left, the church building is still here. But the church has gone. The church building is still here. When the church gets more concerned about the physical house than the spiritual house, We get these churches that we have in Europe. I should give you the example already. But for those who were not here before, I give you the example that in Europe, you have some of the most beautiful and uh, colossal churches. Huge and beautiful. Wherever you look, it's beautiful. Even in the bathroom. Marble. In front, to the side, in the back, to the ceiling, artwork. Marble where you walk. But today when you go to the physical church in Europe, for the most part, she has become a museum. A tourist attraction. Because when you go on Sunday to find the spiritual church, there's 12, 15 people in this colossal building. Gorgeous to be sure. But there's no more spiritual house. The church, a spiritual house. Thirdly, thirdly, the church to gather God's dwelling place. God has decided that among the people, among his people, that is where he wants to live. You think he's living in heaven. Yeah, he's everywhere. But among his people, this is where he wants to live. So when the church has left, you know, God has gone with you. Don't come to the building to find God. You find God among his people. Uh, fourthly, the church in unity and oneness. Unity and diversity we talked about, which there are two contradictory words, unity and diversity. That is only possible through the Spirit of God that people with such diversity would be in unity. And I glory in God that we have such diversity in our, in our church. And, I might say, quite a great unity. 
because the Spirit of God is at work here. Then the church, fifth point, her working and mission. We talked about the fact that the, the Lord gave the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Some people think it's a four-way uh, ministry. Other people think it's a five-way ministry. You win the argument either way you go. That is not that important to me. The, the thing that's important to me is that God has given these offices to the church so to improve the church, to get her ready, to prepare her, to equip her for the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry is that she would grow in love together in Christ and that because of her love, she would share that love with the people out there that, know, that don't know Jesus Christ. And the way you're going to share the, the love of Christ is by loving them even when they're difficult to love. We'll talk about that maybe in the sermon a little bit. Sixthly, the church, a sweet-smelling savor. A sweet-smelling savor. When the church loves herself and when the church loves God to him in his nostrils, ah, smells so good. This is not about a one-time thing. You just smelled good one time. This is about the continuum. This is about that this is who you are now. You're not just every once in a while... You are a little bit Christ-like and you love. You are, this is who you are now. You are a new creation. This is who you are. You have grown in Christ and you love. This is what you do. This is who you are. Love. And to God, it's a sweet-smelling savor. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Seventhly, the place, the church, a place of healing and growth. And we showed you the picture of the, the twin sisters that were prematurely born one was healthy, one was sickly. They were in two separate incubators. The one that was sickly had fever, started to, to turn from pink to blue, had an irregular heartbeat, and cried the whole time. And the nurse, who had read up some things, they, she realized that in Europe, many times they put babies like that together in the same incubator. She fought the doctor on that a little bit. doctor allowed it, put him in the same incubator. The moment that they were in the same incubator, the healthy baby put her arm around the sickly baby. Within days, my brothers and sisters, the sickly baby got her color back, the fever was gone, her heart rate became regular, and she stopped crying. And my question to you was, whom are you going to hug today? To get healing to them. To stop them from crying. To uh, get their heart rate regular. They, are, they have an irregular heartbeat because they're anxious about all kinds of things. And when you come around and you give them a hug, whatever your hug looks like, it doesn't have to be a physical hug, like me hugging my brother John over here whom I love so much. But it could be a pat on the back. Hey, brother, I love you. A smile. Hey, I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you're back, brother. <laughs> or, or any such thing. A hug, my brothers and sisters. And I came to realize that ministering to people is a whole, a whole, let, a whole lot less difficult than 
my perception was at first. A hug! <laughs> and we were taught by babies. Premature babies. Taught us how to minister. So, a healing place. This is where people come to get healing. This is not a place where people come for condemnation. One of the books that changed my life, it's not because of the doctrine that was in there, but the stories that this man told, uh, because there's very little doctrine in there, it's, it's all about, you know, uh, forgiveness and grace. And the name of the, the book is What's So Amazing About Grace by a guy named Philip Yancey. He doesn't elaborate a lot about doctrine, but he gives stories about grace and ungrace. And uh, in the introduction, he tells a story about a woman who was so hooked on drugs that she even sold her little daughter so she could have money for drugs. And the social worker at the end of her effort said, well, have you ever tried to go to church? And the lady said, church? That would even make me feel worse than I'm feeling now already. That is not the place of church. The place of church is for healing, for hospitality. And the word hospital is in the word hospitality. This is where people come. They find hospitality, and they get a hospital, and they get healed, and they get loved, and they get ministered to. They don't get condemned. That's up to another guy. He condemns them. The church, a living body. A living body. And I shared then with you that God is more concerned that we are a living body than that he is concerned that we have a lot of members. Uh, a body consists of members. But just because you have a bunch of members doesn't mean you have a living body. You have just a bunch of members. And I gave you the example of a, a tub of KFC chicken. Tons of members in that thing over there. But when you pull a leg out, there is no pain. There is no relationship. Somebody that comes by the tub, you took a leg out, and they say, they don't even realize their leg is gone. Right? A tub of members. But if you yank off a leg from a live chicken, even a six-year-old can tell you that there is something wrong. And when you yank off that leg, that chicken hurts. Because if there's a live body and a member gets severed, and there's pain. My dear brothers and sisters, when a member gets severed from the body and there is no pain, there is only one conclusion. You're dead. It's a dead body. So, when somebody, you know, we had Doug and Tracy that have been with us for many years and now they have moved away. Doug and Tracy, we love them to pieces. When they left, it hurt a little bit. It hurt a little bit. If it didn't hurt, we didn't have anything going in the first place. A living body. Uh, maybe I'll review even too much. 
The church, a family. And then last week we talked about a family. What does a family look like? What, what, what makes something a family? A bunch of people, how are they family? Well, in a healthy family, there's a lot of consideration one for another. My parents taught me that when I was four or five years old. That my brother and my sister, that I should have consideration for them. Hey, when it's about the Coca-Cola, well, over here, Coca-Cola is nothing special. When I grew up, Coca-Cola was very special. And when my mom gave my brother a, a half an inch more Coca-Cola than she gave me, oh, he's got a half an inch more Coca-Cola. No, Kenny. He is a little bit younger, so I gave him a little bit extra so that he's a little bit younger and you're a bit older, so you are supposed to give the example of how to act when I give him a little bit more Coca-Cola. <laughs> okay, Mommy, I get the point. I get the point. I have to be considered. I have to be an example to my younger brother. <laughs> Coca-Cola. And today we're talking about uh, the church Growing in love, the ultimate, the ultimate goal, growing in love. So, I have to go quickly because um, there is so much to talk about. Many of these could be separate sermons by themselves, but I'm going to try to go brief and short and still make the point so that um, we get through today. Although this series has been... A series, maybe, if not for anybody else, for me. Because it taught me so much about the church and what the church should be like. And so often, we are concentrating on other things than what the scriptures say the church should be like. And so, therefore, miss out. Should I drop the temperature a little bit back? Or, or uh, are you okay? Are you okay? Well, you can suffer for Jesus a little bit, okay? That's all right. Um, so, when you read the scriptures, particularly the New Testament, and you read scriptures, then you find many times that Paul or Peter or one of those guys are, are writing about some virtues that they want to see in your life. And then... Then the last one, the ultimate one that, they, that it, it comes to is like love. I'm going to give you some examples in just a little bit. Or sometimes he's asking you to put on these particular virtues, glorious as they are. And then he goes on to say and caps it off with, but above all these things, put on love. And so when you read the scriptures, you come to the conclusion that and I'm not going to exercise what so many people do when they preach. They, they exercise, they preach on something, and then now they claim that that is the most important thing in life, the thing that they preach on today. And the next week, next week that is the most important thing in life. So I'm just going to say that love is the most important thing in the Christian walk, but I'm just going to cushion it by saying it is one of the most important things. <laughs> just like I say, Brian is one of my best friends. I can't say Brian is my best friend because then I exclude everybody else from being my best friend. But he can be one of my best friends and Glenn can be one of my best friends and everybody's happy. So 
when I say then love is one of the most important virtues there is in the scriptures. Period. And just so you don't argue with me, I, I, I won't say it. it is the most important one, though I think it is. But anyways, you win the, you win the argument. So let us go to 1 Peter 1, 5 through 7. And he gives you some things to add to your faith. Add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly love or brotherly kindness. And then he goes on. And to brotherly kindness, love. 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 So these other virtues are all fantastic. But he caps it off with love. Okay? That doesn't prove a whole, a whole lot yet of what I'm trying to say to you. But it is at least one of those things, not, not maybe the strongest thing, that, that accentuates love as the ultimate. But you see that... That was the last one mentioned. You grew, you grew, you grew, you added to faith, virtue, and you, to virtue, knowledge, and to, to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. And this kind of love is the agape love. What is agape love? Because that is a good question, because when we're talking about love, we need to know what we're talking about. Okay? Uh, the, the agape love is, and I'll, I'll continue with, with, with defining it a little bit, is the love that the Holy Spirit produces in a believer who is yielded to the Holy Spirit. I used too many words over there, but I just want to be, be clear with you. And because it is produced by the Holy Spirit, you can be sure that it is supposed to be sacrificial, that it's supposed to be unconditional, and that when you exercise love, if I say I love my sister Michelle, it is because I do things for the well-being and welfare of Michelle. If I do things for the well-being and wel uh, 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 welfare for, of me, and I say I love Michelle, I, didn't, I made a false statement. Because I just proved that I love me. There's nothing wrong with me loving me. But not when I say I love Michelle when I'm loving me. When I say I love Michelle, I ought to show that I love Michelle. <clears throat> I can also love me. But when I claim that I love her, then I have to be sacrificial in that way. And unconditional. And then show that I can do things for her, for her well-being and for her benefit. Agape love. Agape love. So, this is what the church should grow to. And... So when these virtues then that we're talking about, and we're going to talk more about some of these virtues, it is that these virtues are glorious in themselves, but that love makes them excel. That love put it together, puts it together. That love makes each virtue more excellent because of love than by themselves. Let me give you a few that some of them that I, I, I got from somewhere else and some of them that I came up with myself. Courtesy without love 
It's a cold thing without love. I can be courteous because you come to my restaurant, Bronwyn, and I want a tip. And the more courteous I am to you, the bigger the tip. So this is not, this is not love. I'm done because I'm motivated by love. If I'm not motivated by love, then it becomes just a cold thing. Cold. I want a tip. I'm nice to you. Generosity without love is a harsh thing. As a pastor and somebody in ministry, I have meals, many times meals with people. And here, I have a few dollars here because that's usually the tip that they give. And then they stand here and I go. There's no generosity. It's harsh. Hey, at least show a little care when you give somebody a tip. Hey, sweetie. Hey, Mary. Hey, Joan. Hey, Frank. You gave great, great service today. I, 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 I want to give you actually a little bit extra. If you actually want to give extra, you don't have to give extra if you don't want to. But at least be kind and courteous. Uh, you want to blow somebody's mind? You want to blow somebody's mind? Ask for the manager. And ask for your server to get you a manager. They go shaking in their boots to get a manager. They go to the manager and when you watch them, they're saying, they say to the manager, I don't know why they want you. I thought I was doing pretty good. And the guy was nice to me, so I thought I was doing pretty good. But there comes the manager. And he says, and the way he, he approaches you, he goes like, yes, sir. He's expecting a negative report. He's expecting a call for the manager because like everybody else, I'm going to complain to this manager about the waiter. Sometimes I'm, I'm a little bit kinder. And I tell the waiter or waitress, I want, the, I want to see the manager. I just going to make, a com make him a compliment about you. Ah, they feel better. But the manager comes and he says, can I help you? He, he, he's thinking, oh, this guy's going to chew me out. I say, hey, just chill, just chill, just relax. Um, Sonny over here did very, very, very good. I just want to compliment you for the training that you have given him. Thank you. And I'll be back soon. And he goes, oh, thank you, sir. He almost drops down on his knees because he, he never gets to experience that. When they're calling for him, it is... Because they, somebody wants to complain. Blow their mind a little bit and ask for the manager. I promise you. I promise you. Speaking the truth without love could be scolding. But you want to speak the truth in love, it is edifying. Rebuking without love is venting. Rebuking somebody is for the benefit of that person. It is not for your benefit. Venting is for your benefit. benefit. But if you're going to rebuke somebody... If there's no love involved, it is venting. And it has no positive effect whatsoever. Asking questions without love might come across like interrogation. I gave you an example. Um, I sent John a text. 
sorry, brother, when you sit close like this, I, you know, I'm, I'm picking on you a little bit. Uh, John, sure missed you last Sunday. Okay, now, when I say that with love, he, he receives it. Pastor really missed me last Sunday. If there is no love involved, he receives it like pastor is chewing me out. Where were you last Sunday? See, there's a whole different tone. Where were you last Sunday? Or, hey, where were you last Sunday? You know, well, I had somebody in the family. I had to go to Louisiana. That's where that's usually his excuse. But no, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I shouldn't tease like that. I apologize. I shouldn't tease like that. It's just teasing. But he knows I love him, so I can sometimes tease a little bit. So, secondly, the church uh, love causes a sweet-smelling savor with everybody involved when there's love. A sweet-smelling savor. Uh, my kids, God, God bless. It is by the grace of God. My children love their parents and they love their brother and sister. My dear brothers and sisters, from where I'm looking, dealing with families, this is not always the case. This is rarely the case that everybody's getting along. Uh, it is a blessing and a half. And to me, call it fresh air if you want to. A sweet-smelling aroma because my kids get along. There's hardly an issue between them. Uh, Anymore. I mean, when they're growing up, they're also a little bit different. But so, um, but, but, and that's the way a sweet smell. So it is nothing, a few things are smelling sweeter in the nostrils of God than when his children are in love. And few things get him, uh, how do you say this? Few things are less attractive to God. Than when his children cannot get along. Love. Now, if we could, let, let us look at 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And here Paul is very explicit. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And he says, And now abided Faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these. So here he is very explicit. It is not like he just kept it off with, you know, uh, brotherly love and then add love. Here he says specifically, there, at some point there will remain faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is not the biggest budget that your church has the biggest budget of all the churches in town or the most people of all the churches in town or that it has a gymnasium. Nothing wrong with that. It is glorious. It's wonderful. But that in itself is not the greatest thing. The greatest thing is when we love one another. When God's children love one another. Love one another. Love one another. 
My dear brothers and sisters, there is nothing like it that a church that loves one another. When it's all said and done, the greatest of all virtues is love. Fourthly, love above all these things. We look at Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Here Paul is a little bit more specific as well. And he is asking us, hey, as the elect of God, those people that are of God, you belong to God. Put on this and this and this and this. We look at it. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. These are wonderful virtues, yes? Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. My brothers and sisters, bearing with one another, that's not enough. And forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against any. Forgive them. Forgive them. I never cease to be amazed how difficult it is for us to forgive. Why is it so difficult? Huh? Thank you. Pride. So you try to tell me that he who never did anything wrong comes from heaven to earth so that we can have forgiveness of our sins. And we not can, cannot go across the street or across the hall to forgive somebody else and, and bring reconciliation with a fellow employee or a, a, a member of the household or whatever. I mean, is it that hard? Am I getting too sensitive spot over here because you're so quiet? Is it that hard for you to make the decision that you say, God said so, I'm going to do it. And sometimes you may have to help somebody else out and say, I beg you to forgive me. They don't want to forgive. But if you beg them, maybe they will. Oh, I'm sorry. I, have, I forgot to tell you how you have to do it. You have to beg them, and then you have to crawl about three blocks on your knees. Bleeding knees. And then maybe they'll forgive you. Brothers and sisters, this ought not to be. We should be quick to forgive. So he says, forgiving one another if anybody has a complaint. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Then he goes on to say, and above all these things, above all these glorious things, meekness, humility, forgiveness, above all those things, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness, another translation says, or perfection as it says over here. The love is, is, is what ties it all together. Love is what ties all these virtues all together and makes them to excel. And without love, they do not excel like love makes them to excel. It's the bond of perfection. Actually, the word perfection over here doesn't mean perfection. It means uh, completeness or mature 
or fullness, if you will. That love thing is the thing that brings fullness and completeness to it all. Okay, like I told you, I'm going to go a little bit faster because I'd, I'd like to get through this today. Now, fifthly, we, we look at 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all these things, he says, put on love. Now we go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter says this, 4, 8. And above all things, above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Oh. Uh, and above all these, above, above all things, above all things, that is what Peter makes it very clear here. Above all things, he is saying that in the order of importance, love is the first one. Numero uno. Numero uno. Amor. Agape love. Number one. Number one. Un. La première. La première. Uh, uh, the number one is love. And he goes on to say this. Have fervent love for one another. The word fervent over there uh, actually means, the word fervent over there actually means outstretched. Outstretched. So, or stretched out if you wanted to. So that is to say, Debbie, if, I, if I'm going to say I'm going to love Debbie, I'm going to do things for, I don't, I'm not saying I'm just going halfway. I, I'm going outstretched. I stretch my love to all the way to touch her, to reach her. But often, we, in our choices, to look for soft targets, and we don't want the difficult targets, and we, then we just go halfway to the difficult targets. No, Jesus didn't go halfway. He came all the way to the earth. And it's not like, hey, listen, if we were soft targets, that's not what it was. We were no soft targets to be loved. We were sinners. And he came from a place where there was no sin. So this is not soft targets. We are always looking, hey, Glenn, you're a soft target. You're easy to love. See what I'm saying? I sure hope so. How many years have I known you? Forty plus, yes. I know him since I was a little boy. Always loved Glenn. Always loved Glenn. Uh, but Glenn is a soft target. If I say I love Glenn, I have no credit coming to me. He's easy to love. How about one that is difficult to love? That is what it's speaking of over here. Stretched out. You reach out, even though they're difficult to love. You're not. You're not. You're not coming short. You're going all the way. Reach and stretch out to reach that person that God says you ought to love. And my dear brothers and sisters, my experience has, has taught me that the ones that are most difficult to love have the greatest need to be loved. And when they are loved by people, they'll turn around because love conquers a multitude of sins. Some, some translations say conquer, some people say cover. Okay? When I love Joe... I don't look at his sins. I don't look at his flaws. I don't look at his shortcomings. They're covered. They're conquered. They're done away with. I look at Joe, and God tells me to love him. 
and I love him. Simple as that. That is the church, my brothers and sisters. When people come over here, they need to be loved. No matter what they look like, what they smell like, or whatever. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what he did for us. And he's asking us to walk in such a way that we do it for other people. The church. The church. What time do we have here? Okay, well, I'm doing pretty good. The church. Fervent love. Fervent love, my brothers and sisters. The kind that stretches out. And it covers so much. That otherwise would just be naked and uncovered. And uh, ugly to look at. But love covers up. Sixthly, love is far greater than so many things we seek after. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1, 2, and 3. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1, 2, and 3. You can sense that I feel strong about this because this is the church. And so often we do things so backwards and so unscriptural in churches that don't amount to pleasing God one bit. We're pleasing other people, and we brag because we do better than other people in some ways. But are we doing, are we doing well with God? Are we pleasing Him as a church? So here we have, check this out. 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with tongues, languages, of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Let me, let's look at that first before we go on. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, would you like to speak with tongues of men and of angels? I would. I would. I speak a few tongues. I speak a few languages. I like to speak a whole lot more languages. It's fun. I have gone in the habit of trying to uh, memorize John 3.16 in several languages. So when I see a German, I can speak to them John 3.16. When a Frenchman, I can speak to them John 3.16 in French. Uh, I can do it a little bit in English. Uh, I can do it in Dutch. I can do it in German, whatever. So at least... If I see somebody, I can give them John 3.16 in their language, in their heart language. I like that. It's pretty good. I wish I could do it in Chinese. I wish I could do it in Hindustani or whatever. I wish I could do it in all kinds of tongues. I love it. But if I were such a person that could do it in 20 different tongues, I think I'd get a good following. I think people would admire me. But Paul says... If you have not love, you only are making noise. Pong, 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 pong. That's what you're doing. Only noise. There's no love. There's only noise. Verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have, okay, I'll go with the faith in just a little bit. I have uh, the gift of prophecy. And I understand all mysteries and I have all, all knowledge. I guarantee you, such a person has a great following. They understand all mysteries? 
In other words, whatever question you ask them, they know the answer. They have all knowledge. Such a person would be admired. And such a person would have a great following. I tell you, they put him on television, such a person. And I, tell you, I mean, he's the star. No? Well, if you have a question, please call in. Number 1-800-such-such-such-and-such. And they'd be coming in like crazy, those calls. And he has the answer to every single one of those questions. My dear friends, he'll have a following like crazy. Millions of people will be coming part of his TV program. But the Lord says that if he, if he has no love, he is like nothing. Then he goes to faith. Though I have all faith. Back, thank you. Though I have all faith. All faith. All faith. So that I could remove mountains, but not have love. So there is a mountain. And I have so much faith that I say to the mountain, poof, you go. And the mountain goes. He's just asking, how fast do you want me to go? And you speak to the fever. And you say to that mountain, go. And it's gone. And you speak to the cancer. And you speak to that mountain and say, vamos. And, and it's gone. And you speak to any whatever mountain there is. And it's gone. I guarantee you, you'd have a huge following. If you're on television, hey, Colin, what is your disease? Uh, okay, tell me about it. Okay, all right. You can't walk. Okay, fine, wonderful. And, and you, okay, and you have what? The size of a football in your stomach? Okay, I'll take care of it. Go, go to the bathroom, and, and then when, you, when you're out, out from the bathroom, it, it's all gone. Yeah. And then go Monday, go to the doctor, let him take a, 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 a picture, and you'll see it's, it's all gone. And it's gone. And something else is gone. Do you think they'd be calling into that program? This guy has faith. He moves a mountain by just, boom. And he goes on. And verse 3 says this. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me Oh, you don't want to say it. <laughs> Nada. Silchi. Nichts. Rien. Nothing. Well, I'm actually sharing good news with you. Because I don't want you to go on the wrong path of thinking that some of these other things are more important than love. Prophecy. Wait. Uh, money. Size. Love. That's it. That's it. That's what God wants from the church. Um, okay. I'm getting stronger instead of softer. I don't know if that's a problem. Let's look at 1 John 4, 20 and 21. 4, 20 and 21. Love. The love of God. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. I didn't say it. Don't look at me, Pastor. Be careful. Talk to John. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? There is something wrong with that picture is what John is saying. You say you love God, but you hate your brother. This is not, this is not complimentary. This is not how you call it, mutually agreeable. This is not mutually possible that you say, I love God, but then you hate your brother. Then in 21, he says this. I will, I will try not to stay too long on, on the verses. And this commandment we have from him, God, so the capital, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Don't say you love God. There, 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 there's a false statement here, a false statement that when you say you love God and then you hate your brother or you hate your wife or you hate your husband or you hate whoever. I didn't say it. I have one more for you. Somebody says, praise the Lord. <laughs> it's true. Um, I sorry, I have two more for you. In Philemon 7, it says this. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love. Philemon 7. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love. Because the hearts of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. You have a life verse? Anybody have a life verse? The verse that you want maybe on your tombstone or the verse that you say, this is my verse. This is my verse right here. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the hearts of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. That is the person that I want to be. For my love, for my brothers and sisters to be such that when I am with them, I bring joy to them. The word consolation, that means encouragement. When I'm with them, I encourage them. And they feel the encouragement that I bring. Not only that, their hearts get refreshed. Joy. They were downtrodden. But they came to you. And now they are joyful. They were discouraged. But they came to see you. When they walk out of here, they are encouraged. They were a little bit depressed. They were downtrodden and weary and tired. But when they came to you, they were refreshed. And they walked out of your front door completely freshed. Whoa, whoa. This is my life verse, brothers and sisters. This is the one I want to be. This is what I want to, on my tombstone. Philemon 7. This is how I want to be remembered. This is how I want to be known. This is what I want to do for my brothers and my sisters. This is what I want to do for my children. This is what I want to do for my wife. This is what I want to do for my grandchildren. And this is what I want to do for my brothers and my sisters. That I bring joy to them. That I bring encouragement to them. And that I refresh them. Lastly. Lastly. We look at 
Ephesians 4.16. If you have the picture of the, of the living stones, I'll take it. If not, no problem. Then we'll, we'll be through there. One of the things that we talked about with uh, that the church is a spiritual house, we talked about that each of you is a living stone. A living stone. And so a living stone, it, it is best if a living stone is in balance so that their prayer life, their knowledge of the Word of God, their fellowship with others to bring nourishment and encouragement to other people, and evangelism so that other people might come to Jesus Christ, that is in balance. And so now we have an even square or cube uh, uh, rock. And you are one of those. Okay, there it is. And you're one of those. So fellowship, you fellowship with somebody else so that you can nurture them. You know the word of God so you can be teacher or preacher. You witness so you have the gift, the ministry of evangelism. You, you pray so you can be a worshiper or an intercessor. And so... You, if, 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 if those sides of, of your cube or square, or in this sense, uh, are, are even, and ultimately they hope to be even, then you are a, a solid square, and then you build a spiritual house. It is a physical example, but a spiritual house with these bricks. Okay? So, but this house that is being built, Paul is saying each one of these bricks, each one of these bricks is alive because of Jesus and must share through the ligaments, share with another brick. So that brick can share with them and that brick can share with another brick and this brick with another brick. So you, you get a little bit of the idea? So bring, bring back verse uh, four, Ephesians 4.16. We'll read through it. I'll explain a little something, then I'm, then, then I'm done. Um, from whom, this is Christ, the whole body, joined and knit together, by what every joint, what every joint supplies. This has nothing to do with marijuana, folks. Okay? This is the joint. This is joint, the joint between the bricks. Uh, the joint between... The parts of the body, or the ligaments, as it's, it's, it's called here, okay, uh, in another translation. According to the effective working by which every part does its share. So each brick is going to contribute to the well-being of the whole building. Are you with me? And to that extent, the whole building is either sickly or it is healthy. But in this scenario, God is growing us so that the church can be a healthy body. And it grows, every part does a chair, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That the ultimate goal is that the church will grow in love. As each part does a chair, the church grows in love. The ultimate goal, growing in love. So, I'll say this. Uh, can I get four or five of you to come over here? Four or five of you, yeah. Anyway, and now you can come to whatever. There's no tricks to this. If you stand in a circle. Huh? Stand in a circle. 
So, this is the body of Christ, yes? And I would say, if every person loves at least one other person, the whole body is loved, yes? Okay? So, Caleb loves Zachy. Zachy loves Nicholas. Nicholas loves James. Ma uh, James loves Matthew. Matthew loves Caleb. Everybody's loved, yes? Right? Are you loved? He loves you. He's loved. Are you loved? He loves you. Everybody's loved. That is not what Paul is talking about here in this. He is saying here that each one loves each of the others. Not just one. One would be great. <laughs> if each Christian in a church would love one other person in the church, the whole church would be loved. But he, Paul brings it exponentially greater. That he says, it is not just a one sees, it is that everyone loves everyone else. That's what Paul is talking about here in 4.16. Thank you, brothers. Thank you. Thank you. Huh? You're loved. You're loved. Huh? Huh? Yes. So, my brothers and sisters, We need to love one another. If you want to be a person that pleases God, you need to love people. It's just that simple. It is just that simple to love people. Because love conquers the multitude of sins. And not only that, love brings Let me just compare it my wife, Sybil. She's upstairs over there. My wife, Sybil. I can send her, I can send her to self-confidence or self-esteem conferences. Let us say I send her to 500 self-esteem conferences. Those 500 self-esteem conferences will have no comparison with me loving her like Jesus wants me to love her. She will have all the self-confidence. I don't even want to call it self-confidence. The word self gives it away over there. But she will have all the significance and the security that a woman needs because her husband loves her. All the significance and security. She doesn't have to go to one Self-esteem conference. She has it right there at home. And her, her, him loving her will represent all the self-conferences that you could go to, period. She's at the conference right now. <laughs> she's at the conference when she's in the house with your husband. She's at the conference. Love, my brothers and sisters. Love. So when a sister comes in the building... And in some places, when a sister comes in the building, those, those male carcasses are looking at her and want to take advantage of her. Hey, when she comes in this place, she is secure. No one is going to take advantage of her. People are going to take care of her. Because it will bring to her, maybe she's done, beaten down. She comes in, she finds the love of Christ, 
it will encourage her to no end. It will build her up. It will give her significance and security. She doesn't have a husband, maybe, at this point. But she'll be encouraged by you because you love her like a brother or you love her like a sister. My dear brothers and sisters, the love of God. If we could just get in on it. I have to be careful because otherwise I'll start crying. Let us stand.